Hello there, all of our friends who uh, are into the automotive lifestyle, culture, and fun things with wheels. You've uh, turned into a brand new... A brand new Sitzfleisch episode of V8 Radio, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Sitzfleisch. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar? It does sound familiar. Yeah. Where's that from? You caught me moonlighting. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, but I don't remember what it means. I've been holding on to that word. Um, it's uh, it's 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 the uh, stubborn German uh, German word of the day, meaning uh, someone who can sit patiently for a long time. There you go. It's kind of a loose interpretation, but that's the general <laughs> gist of it. Fantastic. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm Kevin Oste, uh, your host of the V8 Radio podcast and of the Stubborn German podcast, uh, and joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal Clark. And uh, you, you dug deep into the the uh, the alter ego of the Stubborn German cast to pull out the. I did. It's fleshed. Very nice. I am a listener. Well, appreciate that. Well played. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a fun one because it's. Uh, it's a podcast that has nothing to do with cars and it's a, a totally different world for me where I, I'm actually kind of the co-host of that one with uh, uh, Chris Ron, who owns the stubborn German brewing company. And it's about brewing beer, bourbon, but also uh, local businesses and, mm-hmm. and lots of fun stuff. So um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I just, I like that word because it's going to, I think it's going to factor into uh, today's topic. <laughs> yes, we we need our listeners to sit patiently through the show. Also. Yes, please, <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, one of the reasons why they show up here is because of our world-renowned automotive oh, trivia question. Say that again. <laughs> yes, the world-renowned automotive trivia question. Oh, I love it. And, and you know what's fun about the trivia question? I've learned that a lot of our listeners listen to this podcast while mowing the lawn is that so uh, it is so so if you're on your uh, lawnmower either pushing it or riding it around uh, we welcome you to the show and uh we're gonna deal out some trivia questions so have you prepared uh, a trivia question absolutely sir i have i have indeed now you have or have you been fed one? <laughs> <laughs> this one, actually, I've been fed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can thank our good friend, Mr. Trevor Spence, for this one. Nice. Well, this is a quick shout-out to Trevor for uh, for being with our shop for 10 years now. Mm. And what better way to uh, honor him than to use one of his trivia questions? For sure, for sure. All right. Here All we right, go. Kevin and uh, and Trevor, here we go. All right, Kev. Uh, what brand of car had the cylinders numbered starting from the firewall and moving forward? Hmm. That's a great question. Thank you. Trevor thinks Nor- so, too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Trevor. You want to see another 10? 10 years? <laughs> uh well, it's that kind of knowledge is why he's made it 10 years, for sure. Yeah, man. Uh, typically, when you open the hood, especially on a V configuration engine, the, the cylinder that is closest to you is normally number one. So this would be the opposite, putting the number one cylinder against the wall. Correct. Is it a six-cylinder engine? Do we know that? 
I will say it's a four-cylinder engine. It's a four-cylinder. Mm-hmm. So, okay. There's some, there's jokes in there somewhere about something, but I'm I'm not going to go there. All right. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's a Honda. Ooh, Honda. All right. You, you care to guess the model? That means I might be halfway right. Well... I'm just I'm just giving you some opportunity here, pal. <laughs> All right. Um sure, why not? We'll we'll, we'll call it a uh we'll say it was in the well closest to the firewall. So that means it's longitudinal. So that doesn't mean it's a Honda anymore. Because those were like all front wheel drive. Thank tra- goodness you did not say final answer. Yeah, see? Starting to wake up over here. <laughs> all these cans of Canned water are starting to kick in. <laughs> Canned water. <laughs> That's it, man. Nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this one is called Lemoncello. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Tastes like water. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, it's a longitudinal four-cylinder. So that means it's either earlier because it's rear-wheel drive Um Oh man, I don't want to dwell on this forever, but uh, it's okay. I can edit. <laughs> yeah, well, just for fun, because I don't really know. I'm gonna say it was a a product of Morris Garages. It was an MG. Oh, MG. And I'm gonna say it was a 1275 cc four cylinder, as found in the uh, MG Midgets of the early 70s, with a pair of twin SU dash pod carburetors. Ooh, I like it. Okay. Is that your final answer, good sir? That is. That is. All right. Very good. All right. I like that answer. That's a good one. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. All right. So do we have um, the wheel of questions for me? We do have the wheel of trivia once again. It is uh, now more of a triangle. Okay. Because <laughs> we have three <laughs> remaining questions. Oh, righteous. So feel, feel free to spin the isosceles, and uh, I wish you luck, my friend. You got it. Zing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have point number two on this one. Uh, okay. So I forgot to mention that it's number four, five, and six. Oh, point number <laughs> five. Okay. It was the bottom end of the isosceles. Okay. And you, my friend, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> God dang. Uh, here we go. Oh Lord. Okay. What is a Dutchman panel? What is a Dutchman? Is that is that anything like a dashboard? Well, <laughs> it kind of is. Uh, I will. I will say it's a. You know, it's. It's in the, the bodywork of a vehicle, of a car. Okay. The Dutchman panel. Okay, that is the... I will it, say your, your GTO has one. Okay, okay. That is the... It's, it, it's the C-pillar area from the... The the rear part of the side window to the back of the roof to where it meets the um, the rear window, if that makes sense. So the area from the back of the side window 
to where it meets the the rear window, edge of the rear window. Okay. I was typing as you were talking. Okay. So here's what I got. The C-pillar area from the rear part of the side window to the back of the roof where it meets the rear window. Yes. So I don't know what that means, but if that's your answer, well, I'll go with it. Hang on. So you're show uh, me. We're going to have some visual here. All right, so, so I'm like, seeing uh, a GTO, and there's a C pillar there. Where the heck is it? Okay. But, but yours is a hard top, so, so it's technically a B pillar. But So, yeah, it is. So, so from this area to the back where it, um, where okay. it meets the, the rear window. All right. So for an analogy on Sorry. the interior. That was poor radio. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Theater yeah, of the yeah. mind, man. Theater of the yeah, mind. Yeah. Uh, t- to help our listeners visualize the interior corresponding piece would be the sail panel. Yes, the sail panel. Okay. But I'm calling it the Dutchman panel. Right on. For bonus points, do you have any uh, it came reason? It came from the Dutch. It came from the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank uh, the Dutch. Yeah. For that. Thank you, Dutchman. Okay. No we'll heavens to out. Betsy. <laughs> oh Kevin I don't know where uh, you find these I don't either um, that one I had actually heard and uh, in typical fashion I was like what, what's the deal with that so mm. I looked it up and I thought you know this might be a good question mm, great thanks a lot you're very welcome yeah mm-hmm. so so what's happening man you've been busy I've been very busy it's been good um, it's an interesting time uh, we are now, what, a year and a half into the whole pandemic thing. Yes. And, and earlier this year, everybody was charged up because it seemed like it was under control and now it's kind yeah. of resurging and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but the thing that has affected us the most, I think, is this, this domino effect that is affecting everybody. And, and you know, we're, this is not new news to anyone, but mm-hmm. things are taking a long time sometimes to get done. Yes. And it's aggravating. Um, and it's aggravating to those who are making parts. It's mm-hmm. aggravating to those who are ordering parts and installing them. And it's aggravating to customers. And quite frankly, it sucks. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I think it's interesting to explore a little bit about, you know, kind of what, what the deal is on this, because in, in the world of, of car restoration, there have been delays for numerous reasons since the beginning of time. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And you know, when things take a long time, uh, yes, People get, uh, they can get antsy, especially if they don't understand why these things are taking a long time. Uh, and, and the classic example is the term paint jail, you know, my cars and paint oh, jail. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been in the body shop for six months or a year or five years or whatever. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and that's a, it's a horrible thing. It's got a highly negative connotation. It's, it's bad, right? Yes. And, and that generally comes from a lot of shops that are primarily collision shops and they will take on some restoration work. And and the term that I despise is as fill in work. Oh, I can see why you don't like that. 
Well, the, it's a mess because any shop these days in particular, but, but most collision shops are pretty busy. They don't have a lot of downtime for fill-in work, right? right? And, and my limited experience with, you know, professional collision shops is when, when there is a department of the, the collision shop that is going slow, they maintain it. You know, that's time to get the compressor rebuilt or change all the paint booth filters or whatever, you know. Sure. So there's other things to do. Um, and the, the real hindrance, if you take your classic to a collision shop, you have to understand that the collision shop makes their money from fixing wrecks, which are funded by insurance companies. Yes, absolutely. So, so what literally actually happens when a, a wreck shows up at a collision shop, the insurance company involved literally starts a stopwatch. Oh my gosh. Because every second counts. And if, if you are the customer and you wrecked your Hyundai accident or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> oh man. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, they, they want that fixed as soon as possible because they're paying for yes. a rental car for the customer and, Correct. You know, yeah, time is literally, literally money. It sure is. And I know uh, people that own collision shops, and they tell me about this stopwatch. You know, so as they use their electronic systems to work with the insurance company and, and the estimating software and everything, there's a clock ticking, you know, the whole time. Yeah. So, so what happens to your, you know, your 67 GTO? It gets pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. Because there's no clock ticking on that, right. and that's not their main line of work. So I get it. I understand why that happens. But mm-hmm. this is where cars end up in paint jail because all of a sudden a big hailstorm came through, and this body shop has 20 cars to do. You yeah. know, and there's no time for the fill-in work. Right. So when when we started our business, we intentionally don't do collision work. All we do is work on classics and muscle cars. Now there have been a few that have been wrecked classics sure that we've that we've worked on yeah um which is kind of a different animal because most collision shops won't touch those and that's not the primary mode of transportation for the customer so they don't need a rental car and mm-hmm. you know that that process can be kind of drawn out too so that that's the first thing um but there's other situations where you know when things start to take time if they're not handled properly, uh, you know, customers are left with a bad taste in their mouth. And, and, and I've been there. I'm sure you have, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the components of that are, you know, communication and availability of, of the people that are working on the car and all that stuff. But where we are today is and I, I, I'm so sick of COVID. I know you are, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not blaming. I'm not the, I'm not a blamer. You know, mm-hmm. not the guy that's going to just, oh, it's this guy's fault. <laughs> uh, but we, ha- we owe so much, not all, but we owe quite a bit to COVID. And if you look at the analogy of the construction industry, now that, it, you know, we're a year out from this going, going down and we can look back and see what actually happened there. So the construction industry realizes that, oh no, we were in this pandemic. Oh my gosh the the economy is shut down people are not allowed to go to work what does that mean that means we are not going to get any business so we got to lay everybody off yep so they send everybody home and not only the contractors but the the mills and the 
the companies that are cutting the wood and, and all. Everybody gets sent home. Well, the opposite came true. The demand went through the roof. Yeah. Right? Uh, everybody who is home is doing home projects. For sure. You were one of them. Yes, I was. And you put a deck on your house. Mm-hmm. So now we, we were at a time period where these companies were way busy already. The, econ- the economy was chugging along, doing well. You know, there's plenty of work to do. They sent home the workforce and the plants send home the, the workforce that makes the, the raw materials, but the orders go up. So now they got to figure out how to catch up and, and go into high gear to satisfy the current and all these new orders, mm-hmm. but then do it without the materials. So here comes delay number one. Yes. Then there is a legitimate uh, portion of the workforce that got sick, you know, and it's horrible. Oh, so, so, correct. So, so they're out, unfortunately. Then you have a big portion of the workforce that is not allowed to come back to work. Yep. Meanwhile, we're getting more orders and, and <laughs> it's just compounding, right? So this huge mountain of work piles up with no real way to get it done. And we were in the same boat in many ways. We were fortunate that our shop was considered essential so mm-hmm. our guys could come to work. I had that same panic thought when, when the COVID hit that our shop was going to have to close because we were going to be no longer in demand for our services. The opposite happened. We had a very busy year. Uh, but when a customer comes to us in, in the before times, before the, <laughs> <laughs> before the COVID, right. um, there, there's been a trend since day one where the scope of projects 99% of the time will grow when it reaches our shop. And there's Absolutely. reasons for that, you know? Well, sure. So w- one example is somebody might say, hey, I want a fuel injection system on my 69 Camaro. Great. So we talk to the customer, figure out what they want, what are they going to do with it, what's the motor, blah, 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 mm-hmm. which system do you want? And by the time the car gets to the shop, we do um, our mandatory safety inspection, uh, which... I don't know if I ever told the story of how that came to be, but the safety inspection is something it's, it's a couple hours that we, we put into looking at every car that comes in and mm-hmm. we put it on a rack and we, we look at hoses and leaks and brakes and bearings and steering linkages and, you know, anything that could, you know, fall off. We don't do diagnostic. We don't take things apart. This is right. purely an observational thing. And we fill out this big, long checklist and we share those photos and that checklist with the customer and say, just so you know, this is what we found on your car. And some of it might need attention, some might not. But now, now you have a more complete picture of what this thing actually is. Mm-hmm. And almost 10 times out of 10, because these are 50-year-old cars, you know, in some cases, some 75-year-old cars. Yeah. You'll find a bulging brake hose in the back. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of that, right? I, I, it's got to be safe. Or, or a pinched hard brake line on a certain yes. GTO. That's right. You were, yeah. you were there, right? Yeah. And especially when you're talking to a customer who uh, wants to, say, forget the fuel injection system. Say we're putting a, a supercharger on a car. Uh-huh. So now we're going to add 150 horsepower to this thing. Yeah. And the car comes in and... It's on stock brakes and the pads are worn out and the hoses are shot and the master's leaking. And okay, so uh, we got to talk to the customer and say, look, 
and everything we do is on observation and recommendation. Mm-hmm. We're not the, we don't just do it and send you a bill. I mean, we, right. we, we say, this is what we found. Right. Here's our opinion on, on what we think. And we can help prioritize, you know, what's important and what's not. But if a guy's thinking about putting a, you know, a supercharger on the car and all of a sudden we find that it's not going to stop the way it is, the yeah. next, more than just a repair of what's there kicks in and it's a term we call might as well syndrome. Mm-hmm. Love it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, oh, well, so my front brakes are shot and I need hoses. So, you know, how about, how about like we just put some wheel whip disc brakes on the car? You know, while it's there, <laughs> might as well. Right? Might as well. Yeah. We're, we're putting all this power and it. it's got to stop. And tell me about those hydro boost things. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> what, what would that take? Oh, who uses the power steering pump? Yeah, yours is leaking pretty bad. Well, I, I need a new one of them. All right. Okay. So now <laughs> we're doing the supercharger, but we're also added brakes, yeah. hydraulics, the pump. And all of a sudden, the stock wheels don't fit on the car because the brakes have been upsized. Oh, boy. So, hey, Mr. Customer, just, you know, the brakes that you want, that you, you know, or uh, uh, that you want, essentially, don't fit behind the wheels. And it, this always goes the same way. We can find brakes that will fit inside the wheel. Uh-huh. No, nobody wants those. They always want, you know, 13, 14 inch. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to do it. You're adding 100 horsepower to the Hey, car. I saw those in the magazine. I want them brakes too, huh? That's it. I was at yeah. the car show. My neighbor's got them, whatever. My other car has them. So now we've got to find some wheels. And the ordering process on custom wheels has always taken time. Sure. 12. Well, they got to make them. Right. right. It's gotta, there's weeks. a lead time. Yeah. Six, eight weeks, whatever. But it used to be that we could go to one of our suppliers and get the brakes in a week. We get a, a hydro boost system right. generally take some time, but it's not forever. You know, it's a couple yeah. of weeks, you know, three weeks a month. And we could kind of go through the car and land on all those items and then get them all in and then do the work. And mm-hmm. then boom. So the scope grows because a lot of people just don't consider the ramifications of the first thing they want right. to do. They, they, they want all the cool go fast stuff, but don't consider the basics and the foundation of the vehicle, whether it can handle it or not. Yeah. Or if theirs is worn out or, you know, right. whatever. And believe me, there are many cars that come in and the guy says, I got a dripping transmission seal and we fix the seal. And that's it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, we're not, we're not here to push stuff right. onto to, people. To upsell everybody every time they come in. Yeah. Right. Because the reality is we don't have to, we, we present and people go, oh, well, I, I want this stuff and mm-hmm. this is not safe. So incidentally, the, uh, the safety thing started because the guy brought us a car to do some work on it and somebody did a disc brake swap and didn't put the clevis pin in the brake pedal. Oh no. Yeah. And Trevor moved it in the shop and stepped on the brakes and they went right to the floor, not even attached. And he rolled into the old paint booth door. Oh no. And damaged the car. Well, luckily, sure. Uh, we worked with Haggerty insurance and we were able to basically redo the whole car. The insurance paid for the damage in the front and the customer said, well, while you're doing that, <laughs> you might as well just repaint the whole car, right? And, Heck yeah. And we love that, but it added time and scope to the project. Yeah. It really freaked Trevor out. Um, luckily, oh, I... nobody nobody was hurt. Um, 
but that spawned us to say, you know what, any car that comes in, we got to get eyeballs on this. Yeah. Because we don't know who worked on it last or if there's something wrong with it. Funny thing about when a brake pedal goes to the floor, <laughs> it actually feels like the car accelerates at that point. Because mm-hmm. you're expecting it to you're slow right. down, and when it does, you're like, oh my God, I'm going faster. Yeah, the opposite happens, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it used to be we could accommodate the might as wells and, and the unexpected uh, repair items pretty quickly. But today, because the manufacturer can't get the materials to make the parts and can't find the workforce to assemble them once they've got the materials and then can't ship them, and they're backlogged to last year anyway, when this type of thing happens, all of a sudden, it has a huge impact on time. Oh, yeah. It's going to have a huge domino effect for you guys. It really does. Yeah. And there, there's a couple facets of the domino effect that I, I, you know, we've learned about that are challenging to kind of wrap your mind around. And that is that we try to do everything as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. So the last thing we want to do is bring your GTO in and have you say, yeah, we're going to put a five speed in the car. Oh, while you're there, let's do, you know, the big brakes and, and front and rear sway bars and mm-hmm. suspension. Well, I'm not going to disassemble the car and let it sit there and wait for those parts to come in. Right. Because we can't work around it. We can't move it. It also has a huge negative effect on the trajectory of that project. Mm-hmm. Because somebody's got to take it apart and then sit there and wait. And when the parts come in, and these days it could be two months, I don't know, you know, uh, then they got to get refocused on what they're working on to put mm-hmm. it back together, as opposed to what we prefer to do, which is, all right, we look at the car, we do the inspection. You say you want the big brakes and sway bars, we're going to do the five speed. All right, we're going to move the whole car either into some of our on-site storage or, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of out of the way and order all the stuff. And when all the parts come in, then we're going to hammer it and we're going to go through it. We're going to sure. get all the work done. Where we've been bitten on that strategy <laughs> is once that work starts and you think you've got everything uh, and you get either the wrong part in the box. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Or a part, you know, your, your rotors come in and they've only got uh, two studs on them and you got to have one redrilled or whatever, you know, just sure. an, uh, an, an inferior part that normally you would just send back and send me another one tomorrow. But, that that could no, take that's another six weeks or have a nice day yeah right yeah. uh or uh it comes in and we take the thing apart and find out that oh yeah well on further inspection we've now deemed that your spindle is cracked oh. There's n- no way to see this before right right so now we got to wait six more weeks for a spindle you know, yeah. and, and we try to do everything we can to look long and see past the parts in hand, hip mm-hmm. bone connected to the leg bone. And sure. You know, what else is going to get us here? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in that situation, you know, we've had customers who are like, OK, so I'm talking about doing some rear disc brakes on my Corvette. But all of a sudden you're telling me without even looking at the car that I'm going to have to rebuild the rear control arms. 
And we say yes, only because we know that every one of these Corvettes we've gotten into, they need those bearings and bushings changed. Mm -hmm. So we can order those parts, get them here. And if yours is the one that doesn't need it, mm -hmm. we'll send it back. As opposed to we get into it and go, oh, man, you know what? Yeah. We By the those. way. <laughs> right. Here's another delay. Mm -hmm. So many of our customers that um, have come in with projects that have turned into larger things um, at their own motivation, uh, many of them get it because they're dealing with the same thing in their own life and whatever their industry is or mm -hmm. whatever. But the reality is that most people, they're concerned about their own car. Yes. That, you know, you are, I am, everybody, you know, sure, you know, there's others there, but it's really, I brought my car and when, when are you going to work on it? <laughs> and, and there's this perception of you get this bad fear that the car's just sitting there and nobody's doing anything on it. Right. And it's collecting dust in the corner. It's in body shop jail. For sure. Yeah. And this comes from people having these negative experiences in the past. Yeah. Where, where all of a sudden they're waiting and it's like, hey, you know. And, and so I try to put myself in, in other people's shoes and say, if I brought my rib somewhere and said, hey, let's do the brakes on this thing. And they go, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's going to be six weeks out in parts. Oh man, well, I don't want to hear that, but that guy doesn't want to tell me that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I have nothing to gain by these projects taking longer. Yeah, it's, it's not like you hung up the phone and then you're, you're wringing your hands going, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I screwed another one, yes. Yeah, no, I've got zero to gain. And right. in fact, we have situations that we have to manage now because people are disappointed. And mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is disappoint somebody. Uh, so... We've got a situation right now, and, and the customer, I feel terrible for this guy because he's a great guy, and it's a great car, and he's been kind of dealt like all of these curveballs. Oh, man. And, and as we go through this, he's got a very special car. It's a numbers-matching car. It's got to be right. He, can't, he brought yeah. it to us to, to make it right. It was restored once before, and it was close, you know, but it, it wasn't there. And part of what we're doing is this underhood restoration. Cool. And it didn't, it didn't run great. It had some problems. So we do some diagnostics and some tuning on it. We can't really get it to run right. It's determined that this thing needs an engine build. Mm. Okay. Well, in, in our world, in our shop, you can't just take a, a very rare engine and drop right. it off at the parts store down the street and say, rebuild this. Right. You, know, you have to work with reputable specialists that know this stuff mm -hmm. so the problem with and, and we have a lot of those partner shops all over the country that that we send engines to that are specialists in different different types of engines um that are trusted and and what we do uh you know we we tell the customer because we don't do machining in-house but we'll tell them hey um just so you know this is going to be done by this particular shop. It's, we're going to send it out. And we photo document the whole engine before it leaves the shop. And we, we, we record all the casting numbers and all the stampings and the identification numbers because there's always a fear that is my engine going to come back. Oh, yeah. You know? So we try to mitigate that by having as much, you know, photographic and, and data on the, on the engine before it leaves. And another thing that 
we like to do is rely on the machine shop to do the work, right? So yeah. we will pull an oil pan and maybe pull a couple caps off the the bearing, the main bearings, and look at the main bearings and see if they're scored or whatever as an indicator that, yeah, this thing yeah. needs help. You know, a compression check, a leak down check, your standard diagnostics. But we don't normally like to pull the intake, pull the heads, take the push rods out, take the pistons out. Okay. I, I want this together as much as possible. Makes so sense. That, so that it leaves our shop basically as it came in, you know, maybe disassemble a little bit with no alternator and, you know, ancillaries. Yeah. yeah. But then the machine shop can bring it in and they've got everything they need. They can do and, all their discovery in the engine. They they know what they're looking for. They 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 see a mark there or a, some kind of witness mark there. They they'll know what it is without cor- it being unmolested. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, in today's world, you gotta, you gotta make sure that everyone's covered. Right. So, so that's, that's an element of their responsibility and their liability as well. They got it complete. It's up to them to keep it complete, you know, and the shops we work with, um, understand this and they appreciate that they're not getting something in boxes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people do that. I've done it myself. (laughs) I brought a Buick motor and three trunk loads (laughs) to a a 24-hour parts store in Southern Cal once. Uh, Awesome. Yeah. And you know what? They they did a a hot tank and a hone overnight on a weekend. Nice. Because it was 1998 and not COVID times. Yeah. It was the before times. It was the before times by a long stretch. So here we go, and this engine goes out, and... um, the other part of that discovery that you mentioned, it's a good word, is that as soon as the engine shop gets it, they're going to take it apart with their tools, at their speed and their methods. And before any work happens, they're going to report back to us. We're going to have a conversation. What'd you find? And a lot of times they'll say, hey, this block is toast. You know, we're not going to rebuild this. So you need to talk to your customer about a replacement. And maybe we have one or can help you or you're going to get a crate or whatever. But in, in the case of this particular very rare engine, um, it had been built before, rebuilt, mm-hmm. bored, overboard, and there's not a lot of material to do this again, Oof. right? Yeah. So uh, you know, your, your 24-hour overnight auto parts store would have said, yeah, we're just going to punch this to you know, 60 thou and cross our fingers that we don't crack the block in the right. boring machine because we're thinning it out so much, which mm. is, you know, happens to these things. Or they're going to say, eh, we could sleeve it and, and drive sleeves into this thing and break the block in half, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Or you do what, what our particular shop that we work with did, and they said, let's get a custom piston. Let's bore this thing like, I don't know, I think it was like eight or ten thousandths over maybe. Just okay. a little bit, just enough to clean up. Clean it up. Yeah. Give it good compression again, yeah. and we'll des- we'll design the piston with the the piston manufacturer yeah. to be specific for this block. It's going to be the least invasive, the the most conservative, the smartest way to do it. Good, love it. Yeah, run it past customer. He says, "Great, you know, I like that plan. It it lets my engine live on safely." Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here's the thing. There, any good machine shop or any machine shop today, you cannot drop it off an engine drop an engine off today 
and have them work on it today. No. Because they're backed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two months, six months, whatever it is. Some race shops, years. And the same way we don't blow a car apart, let it sit on the floor until the parts get here. Most, you know, reputable engine shops, especially ones that do custom machining and, and race engines, mm-hmm. they're focusing on the engine that's on their stand right now. Right. They cannot be distracted by numbers and measurements of other engines. They want this, whatever they're working on to be dynamite because it has to win a race. It's got to be right. Mm-hmm. Once that one's done, we're going to move on to the next one. Yep. Right? I mean, I totally get why why you wouldn't take anything apart before you're going to work on it. I mean, who? what better place to have every part than to have it bolted all together? That, that way right. it won't get lost. It won't get yeah. lost. And like you said, you can compare the piston to the wall and look for marks and, you know, yeah. all, that, all that kind of stuff. So the other thing is that in the machinist world, you've got setup time. If you're going to do an overbore oh, right. on, a, on a big block Chevy, you've got to set the bore tool up, the torque plates, and, you know, even your engine stand's got to be configured, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know this to be... I'm not saying that this is a story that is currently, you know, happening, but I, I've known of this in the past mm-hmm. where an engine shop will say, oh, well, it turns out I got three big black Chevys here. I got a big Ford and a small Ford and I got two Mopars over there. So I'm going to, I'm going to do the three big block Chevys in a row so that I can be efficient and I don't have to reset the machines and makes sense. Yeah. my mind is on big black Chevy. Sure. And then I'm going to do the two Mopars. And then I'm going to hit the two Fords, right? So their timeline is kind of, and, and you kind of want it to be on the machinist preference because that mm-hmm. generally means that's how it's going to get done right. Yes. If you are kicking and screaming saying, I need this by the weekend, I don't care what's on your machines. Yeah. It isn't going to go well. Yeah. You, you can't bully that guy into, into doing that. You're right. It, it won't go well. Right. And especially if you're dealing with something again, that's special and that's, that's Mm -hmm. not really replaceable, you know? So you've got that concept. Well, the next thing is, all right. Yeah. Thanks for dropping yours off. I got to get these four out of here and then I'll get to yours. Well, then that comes apart and then we find out, oh, we got to order bearings. We got to order these custom pistons, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it might've sat there for a month before they touched it. Yeah. Now it's going to be however long for the parts to put it back together mm-hmm. in the meantime the machinist can do the machine work once the plan's agreed upon and it's approved and all that jazz yes so here we go again now now i'm a middleman in this this standpoint because we sent this thing out everybody knows it got sent out it's not a, not a surprise right but but after a month the customer calls or or we reach out to the customer because we try to do two-way as much as possible and uh, hey how's the engine coming along well um, you know, the machinist is hopefully going to, going to crack it open this week. You mean they haven't yet? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately not, you know, and it's because of these reasons. And well, I was kind of hoping this thing would get done in my lifetime. You know, what's the deal here? <laughs> right? Yeah, I get in that. In my lifetime. Uh, I know, love it. Uh, but you know, time matters. And sure. it's, it's a thing. You have to be considerate of this. So why didn't this happen? Well, you, you know, you start to share the story and uh, guess what? Well, you're going to need these custom pistons. Hey, great idea. Well, the piston manufacturer says they're 10 weeks out. Uh, uh. 
Okay, so now I got to tell a customer. Remember that month that went by? Well, now we need ten more weeks. Yeah, we need a couple of more of, of those. Yeah, a couple more of those, right? So, so you can kind. I bet you can guess where this goes next because then the the machinist, you know, we're on top of the machinist. He's on top of the piston manufacturer. The piston manufacturer comes back and says, "Yeah, remember when I told you ten weeks? So it's it's not. It, it's going to be twelve. Ah. So then the no. machine is, is like, oh, man. Well, now he's got to juggle his work strategy because he can't get the parts. He tells yeah. us, oh, yeah, it's going to be 12 weeks now. We get back with the customer, and the customer's like, you're kidding me. What is the problem? Well, the problem is all these things and manufacturing, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And by the way, if an engine shop says, sure, I can tear that apart right now and and put it back together this weekend – I don't, I'm not sure you want to go there because they're not busy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're probably not busy for a reason. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an empty restaurant, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you can get a great table, but whoa, what's going to yeah. happen 24 hours from now? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get the uh, you know salmonella and fries. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the next thing is, and this kind of did happen, the report out of the piston shop was guys were on we're on kind of an indefinite hold. I'm not, I'm not sure when we're going to get these. Oh no. Okay. Okay. So here, so what do you do? The last, the most, one of the most annoying phrases in the world is I don't know. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. And to tell a customer, customers, Hey, so now we're, you know, 10, 12 weeks into my engine. I, I, I haven't seen anything. Where, where is it? You know, well, it's at the machine shop. How come it's not done? Well, we're waiting for parts. Where are the parts? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't fly. <laughs> no. Right? But the flip side is, I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to make up a number. Right. Or oh, keep so stringing gonna, them along. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be two more weeks. You know, I don't know <laughs> what it is, right? I, I literally just, I don't know. I don't have the information. I know the story behind what's going on, but uh-huh. I don't physically know. And it conjures up, you know, one of my dad's favorite sayings. And of course, he was a, a police officer with that mentality that, a lot of police officers have. And <laughs> when I was a kid, I'll never forget it. I, I broke his, uh, remember when the Sony Watchman TV first came out? Yeah. The little portable TV. He, yeah. he had one of those. I broke the antenna off it. And uh, I just kind of put it back because I, <laughs> I was a little kid. I don't know. And uh, he comes home and he's like, hey, who broke my antenna? I don't know. <laughs> well, who would know? <laughs> you know? That was the standard thing. Who would know? I don't know, you know. <laughs> it certainly wasn't me, Dad. Yeah, well, I eventually copped to it, and yeah. you know, there was a whole whole lesson learned there. But so I'm trying to take the the accountability and not say I don't know. But I've actually had to tell people this drawn out story of this is why I cannot give you a date. Please uh-huh. understand that it's not because nobody's working on it or it's delinquent or somebody's uh-huh. put something in front of it. It's because this is a, it's a quality part handpicked by this company to do this work. So a lot of times it's, well, can't you get pissed in somewhere else? Can't you call somebody else? Well, it, it's possible, right? You might find yourself at the end of a 12-week line there too. Yeah. You might find that they can't make that custom piston. You also take the personal relationship out of the picture. So right. the engine builder is working with that piston company because he's worked with them forever, knows them personally, Uh you know, their, their kids play soccer together. So if something isn't right or you need more help, 
you got that relationship. If you start scratch from scratch somewhere else, yeah. you don't you don't have that. You know? Right. And, and I have that same relationship with the engine builder. You know, I I can tell him, dude, what's going on, and he'll tell me. There's yes. no no BS. Mm-hmm. But getting back to the customer, now it feels like, you know, I don't know what's going on. So it's our challenge to continually provide updates, but provide updates that say something because nobody wants an update of nothing. <laughs> you, you want an update that something's happening. So the question, you know, often comes up, well, while you're waiting for the engine, can we do this other stuff? Which then harkens back to what I said before. We don't want to blow this thing apart and interrupt any potential efficiencies we're going to get by bringing the engine back. And the specific example is this engine has to be a certain color uh, when it's reinstalled. And so do a lot of the parts that bolt onto it. They're they're all the same color. But it's a proper restoration, which means we had to know that some of these parts were assembled and then the engine was painted. So there's there's a hose and some clamps and some brackets that are all painted at the same time. Okay. Assembled, right? Mm, yeah. So you, you you hired us to do this right. So I can't do it wrong to make it look right because it ain't going to be right. Right. J- just to kind of usher <laughs> it along because that's not why you brought it to us. But I get right. that you're yeah, impatient. You're, I guess because yeah. I am too. Yeah. Again, I have nothing to gain by this taking mm-hmm. longer than, than exactly. we all think it should. So then you have the the the... Even if you can talk to them and, and, and let them know, hey, th- this is the reasons why. And it, I tr- we try to provide 100% transparency. Mm-hmm. Here's the number of the engine shop. Here's the number of the piston company. Call them up. Feel free mm-hmm. to ask. You know, put pressure on them if you want. But I don't know if it's going to help. But sure. You know, I'm not guarding all that like, oh, no, no. Right. You can't. Uh, don't you dare. Yeah, because that's not how it is. It, it, it's very important for me to understand, you know, that the people understand that that we're in this boat together. Uh-huh. It's not something, you know, any different. But then in the customer's world, he's got his friends, his wife. <laughs> hey, where's your car? Hey, what's going on with that motor? Hey, dude, uh, when's it going to be done? Yeah, I told you they... you should have taken it to my buddy. Yep. What are they doing over there? Yeah. Oh, man. And, and the best one is all of a sudden here comes social media. Oh no! And it's, uh, it's I like po- it. I like the before times when that didn't exist. Uh, well, you know, it's got its place. Yeah, it does have its place. You're right. and, and I get, you know, it, it's a it's a place to share positive and negative feelings and whatnot. But it's a chance for everybody to pile on. Yeah, and that's what that's what they do. You know. Oh yeah. Right, and even if if I had the greatest stake in the world. Mm-hmm. And I said, nah, you know, this steak was okay. I'm going to have 100 people saying how bad it sucked. I'm not going to have 100 <laughs> people saying, you're right, it is great. You know, nobody comes to anybody's defense on social media. They don't know the whole story. They, they just, eh, like you said, I eh, should have taken it to my buddy. <laughs> so you got to manage that too. And at the end of the day, where we are now is that we're hearing promises that production is starting to come back and... Uh-huh. and there's been this in this country, this unemployment, um, you know, increase of benefits that they've been paying out yeah. uh, to, ha- to help people and, and 
there's a, a strong argument that said that kind of deterred people from getting certain jobs and and that faucet is turning off you know kind of this time so we're we're hoping that more people become available in the workplace to get more stuff done and, yeah. and you know we could get this done and and interestingly all along this process so the work that that we're doing in our shop isn't in any way negatively affected by anything other than the time hmm. it's not like there's sub quality work happening because it's taking right. longer it's just we're waiting for the damn parts hmm. and the engine shop is the same way and everybody's maintaining their quality standards so time though is such a major component of the perception of quality and value uh, if something went too quickly, yeah. it isn't good. If it went too long, it isn't good. Right. There's a sweet spot of how long people think things should take. <laughs> and, and it's and it's a different time for every individual. For sure. Yeah. Now, the, the thing that is a little disheartening, and where I said in the beginning that I'm not blaming all of this on, on COVID, but COVID is the root. I, I have been following, obviously, the auto industry, and we've all seen these stories of the thousands of vehicles that are not ready for sale because they're missing chips. Right, they can't get these chips. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's causing the used car market to skyrocket because everybody, yes. wants, everybody wants to sell a car. Every yes. dealer needs cars to sell. Totally, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> and some of the companies were getting kind of innovative with with how they're managing this. And Ford, for example... Uh, and, and General Motors are selling some of their cars without the LCD screens or LED screens in the dash. Really? They're, they're basically making a lower model car and, and they say, whenever this comes in, we'll install it. But there's a whole bunch of chips that make up this display we don't have. Huh. Or Honda, for example, is only giving out one key. Oh, really? Yeah, because all the keys have transmitters and, you know chips and those and they can't get them so rather than halt everything to just give it out and, and as soon as the second one comes available they mail it to you so but they're starting to drill down and find out that getting back to our analogy of the construction business that production is back online and and prices are coming down mm-hmm. and the supply is there so so what happened well they're starting to catch up with those orders they got people back to work the plants are running Blah, blah, blah. But mm. the semiconductor industry is not. In fact, it's getting worse. Oh, wow. So let's look at what's inside a semiconductor. And the two major components that are causing the problem they can't get are these ceramic circuit boards. Okay. And some of the, the more precious metals that go into the actual, you know, integrated circuits and okay. semiconductors themselves. Well, why can't you get those? Because everything else is just starting to kind of come back. Well, you can't get those because the people in China that supply them all mm. have realized that if you can't get them, you're going to pay a lot more for them, <laughs> right? So now we've got a market force that is going along for the ride of this natural disaster mm-hmm. and capitalizing on it, and it's crushing people like you and me, and especially small business people that are just trying to get their stuff done and and don't. I don't have any recourse, you know, again, I can't go to right. a custom piston store in Walmart in aisle five and get these 15,000 <laughs> over forged, specially designed pistons right. today. And, but that, you know, these manufacturing plants in their efforts to ramp up and increase production, they can't get the equipment because the chips are in the equipment. Oh, yeah. Right? And it just goes in all directions and it's like, Oh my gosh. And, and I, I'm, my head is just pounding. 
so goes 180. So what, what do you do? Right. And I think the most important thing is to maintain the transparency. So we've always maintained an open door policy. Any, any person who brings us a car that we're working on, you're free to come visit the car anytime you want. Don't need to make an appointment. You can just show up whenever you want. We suggest if there's a particular person that you want to talk to, mm-hmm. you know, call ahead yeah. and find out if they're going to be there. I'm doing a lot of traveling right now and, you know, it's vacation season. So some sure. people aren't there. So, but it's not like in some of those body shops with these uh, uh, fill in work where you call and then they unmothball your car and put it in the <laughs> middle of the room and make it look like they're working on it. You know, that, that, that's not the case. Uh, the other thing is, we do maintain our photo albums and, and the photo albums are updated. And if nothing's happened for a little while on your photo album, it's, it's because we've been you know waiting for something, mm-hmm. but we have Joe at the front desk, who's our sales and customer relation guy and Brian, who's our parts guy. And those two guys are on the phone with people all day long. Call Joe and say, Joe, take the shop phone and go get me a picture of my car. And he will walk right out and go bam and send it back to you in minutes. Cool. You know, anytime. Cool. Right. So, just trying to get that message out there that uh, there, there's a reason why, why people choose to work with us. And it's because of all these factors that are built in to help them have a good experience, even though right now we're all kind of struggling against things that are not in our control. Yeah. Well, I mean, communication is paramount in times like these. And you guys do a great job of communicating. People will take a lot of bad news as long as they are communicated with effectively, as long as they feel like you have their best interests at heart. So I I think a great thing that you guys do is you don't just work for a customer or do work for a customer. You try to partner with that customer Mm -hmm. because you guys are want, you have a common goal to build a great car, to build a car that customer wants. And by partnering, they feel like they're invested as much as you are. And so For I sure. think I said that that goes a long way in 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 fostering a, a superior client experience. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. And it's 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 not easy, and it it you know it doesn't always go that way. But what I like to envision is, um, you know, I've been to enough high high profile car shows in my life where a very expensive car big custom or a pro touring car, whatever is like getting unveiled. You know, in fact, we've done this, you know, unveiled cars. Mm -hmm. And when the owner's standing right there next to the builder and they're like, we did this. Yeah. You know? Yes. It's the owner provided half the project. The builder provided the other half together. It happened. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I love. And that's the greatest feeling when it's like, yeah, this is your desire and maybe a shared vision and your resources and our resources. And this is the result. And when somebody starts to go, Hey, how come you're not working on this thing? It's, it's a, you know, you got to figure out a way to communicate that, that sentiment that, Mm -hmm. like you said, we got a common goal. Mm -hmm. Like, again, I've got nothing to gain. (laughs) I only have challenges to overcome by this Mm -hmm. stuff taking long. Yes. Yeah. We, we are not going to sacrifice the product we put out just to rush it along and, you know, change the scope of work to, to give, to put in inferior materials or products because that's not what you want. 
So Correct. it just takes a little bit longer. And we and, we all have to be patient with this. And believe me, we are wide open to discussing alternatives and compromises mm-hmm. and, and whatever. And so for this particular example of this, you know, car with the shop and the, or the engine in the, in the shop, if there was another one of those motors laying here, you know, mm-hmm. that we could drop in and the guy could drive it for the rest of summer. Sure. I would do that, mm-hmm. but I don't have one. Right. And yes. then we get back to what you just said. The reason why I came here is because he wanted it to be as day one under the hood and that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be it, you know? Right. So it's interesting. And this, this is stuff that, uh, you know, when, when you go into business, most people, where's the training? Who, who knows that this is going to happen? Nobody. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Chapter eight, turn to your business book. Chapter eight. Uh, this is a, what do you do a year and a half into a pandemic? When, you know, the Chinese Go! decide to regulate the availability of everything that touches your world. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> uh, that's not in my book. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, this this uh, this topic it, it's it's walking a fine line, and I don't mm. want to come across like I'm complaining about anything. Right. Uh, what I'm trying to do is share where we have been with certain projects, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you recently we have had the flip side where we've talked to a customer and said, okay, just so you know, um, these parts take months to get, and you know set that expectation at least that it could be. In some ways, it could be open-ended. We don't even know. Mm-hmm. But then they show up two days later, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Here we go. And we've got another customer in the shop right now with a Corvette who his project grew in scope before we even started on it. Really? Because, because waiting for a big-ticket item, waiting for a, for a TKX 5-speed to be mm. built for this car. And while he's waiting, he's like, huh, well, what if we did this? And what if we do that? And, you know, to... So we just got to all, you know, tried to get as many of the parts on order as much as possible yeah. so that we got a big mountain of great parts that when the last one shows up, we go boom and this thing, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it all comes together. So, yeah, best to make all those might as well things before you're too deep into a project where the change orders become counterproductive to all, all the work you've yeah. been doing already. But some of it you don't know. Right. Well, you know, yeah, I get it. I mean, you, you, you can't, like you said earlier, you can't anticipate that crack spindle. Yeah, you um, didn't know that that brake line was pinched on your GTO. No, absolutely until not. Until we're trying to drop the motor in. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's get some brake line and have the guy who's never bent brake line before make a new brake line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, it worked, right? Yeah, it you did stopped. work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, you know, sometimes we have to be conscious of the fact that maybe a car is coming in for an aluminum radiator, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we do our basic safety inspection and the technicians aren't really focusing on the rear gear ratio because Mm -hmm. it's here for a radiator. Sure. But the customer had a gear set in the back of his mind and didn't volunteer that information. Mm. So we do the radiator and then it's, Hey, you know, while it's there, I like a different gear set. Well, if I knew that you wanted the gear set, we could have ordered that before we started the radiator yeah. and made it one trip up the lift, do both of them, and one trip yes. off the lift, and it's done. But a lot of people, for various reasons, you know, if they've never worked with it before, they want to know how it goes. Sure. I, I, I get project. that. Yeah. Or they want to see what's left in the budget. 
Uh, mm. Or they're still doing research or, you know, whatever. There's a million different reasons. So I can't expect right. somebody to come to me and say, well, this is my dream car, but I can only afford, you know, this this segment to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you if you have the ability to share what your vision is, we might be able to make recommendations to say, oh, yeah, well, if you want a set of, you know, brand X wheels, you're three months out. So before we go down that, you got three months of waiting time. Is there something else we can do in the meantime or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and again, not, we don't, we don't grow the projects. The customers do. They, they, mm-hmm. they, everybody likes doing this stuff. They, they want the most car that they can get. Yeah. And so from a business standpoint, you know, that, that part's kind of nice for us because chances are it's going to be more work than what was initially anticipated. But that also has the effect of changing the plan of the shop because mm, this one, right. this this one came in for a radiator. And now it's here for full suspension. But there was somebody waiting after him that's going to come in, and now we got to tell that guy. Yeah, a couple more days, <laughs> or a couple uh, more weeks, or a couple yeah, more months. Or, or yeah. my radiator company just said, "I don't know when it's going to." So then it affects going out of the shop as well and down the street. You know. Mm-hmm. So oh, man, it's uh, that's it's a lot to juggle. Time. It it is it is, and mm-hmm. I still wouldn't you know I would not rather be doing anything else. You know this is this is uh, this is what we do, and I enjoy it. You don't want to be working for the chemical company again? No, those no? days are long gone. Yeah, oh, <laughs> too bad. Yeah, I'm glad I glad I worked there, but yeah. uh, uh, no. <laughs> um, and and you know, part of me looks at these as as challenges to solve problems to solve. Uh, yes, which which we do a lot. We solve a lot of problems, and if we can figure out a way to to handle it and then apply it to everybody else, then we won't have that challenge with anybody else, you mm. know, because we figured it out. And that that's kind of what I enjoy. And but at the end of the day, we're not a giant corporation. We don't have mm. plants all over the world. It's a you know a couple handfuls of guys in a small shop in Redbud, Illinois. You know, mm-hmm. we can do we can only do what we can do, and we do it well because everybody cares and. That's huge. That's, that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know. Right on. Well said, sir. Well said. All right. Well, hopefully, you know, we can make some sound to wake everybody up for the trivia question. Yeah, man. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> Woo! All yeah. right. All right. So, Kev, I asked you what brand of car had the cylinders uh, numbered starting from the firewall and moving forward. Yes. And at first you tried to go with Honda. Because I think you just were disgusted with that question. Um, you, <laughs> no, I was just thinking four cylinder. Yeah, then you um, then you landed on the MG, our friends at Morris Garages, in a twelve seventy five CC MG midget. And I cannot believe this, but that is not correct. I know it's not correct. Nice uh, acting there. You get the Oscar for the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've been waiting all episode for this. Yeah, I know. All right. So, actually, the correct answer is our good friends at Saab. Ah, man. Did that. In fact, (laughs) it's funny because their engines, their longitudinally mounted engine, had all of the accessories mounted on that back part of the engine like alternator power steering pump was sandwiched between the engine and the firewall and my buddy had a, had an old like 83 Saab 900 turbo that was set up that way and we had to replace the alternator on it once and that was the biggest nightmare of my life okay 
trying Why to replace that. The heck on earth would you do that? I don't know. It, it, it the 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 transaxle was you know it was almost like a Tornado kind of a setup because it was front wheel drive. So it's front drive, but longitudinal, and then everything is up against the firewall. Exactly. Born from jets, right? Yes. Jets aren't jets. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, jets are not jets, like that. <laughs> jets don't have any of that. Nope. No, they don't. <laughs> Man, well, that's a great question. We have not yet had a sob question on this show. All right. Well, thank you, Trevor. Or is my neighbor. So I had a neighbor that had a nine, 900 turbo. Is that what it was? Yeah, 900 turbo. Uh, 900, and he had like a... What was the end of the line before they became the 9,000? I think there was an overlap, right? Where you could get a 900 and a 9,000? Yes. Yeah. I, I used to have a 9,000, a Saab 9,000 turbo. You had some weird cars, man. I did. Oh, yeah. And, and I loved every one of them. <laughs> I loved every one. Every oddball car I've ever owned has been great. So here's a quick funny story, right? So my neighbor is into those cars, and he buys this 900 turbo. And it, it's like a 89 Okay. Were they still making them then? Yeah, absolutely. Towards the, towards yes. the end of the 900 series. Yeah, before they became the 9.3 when GM took over. Yes. Yeah. So still all Swede. And yeah. uh, it was a damn good looking car. It was like a yeah. gunmetal gray metallic. Yes. With, uh, I'm going to say it, had black leather seats. And it had that, those, those European you know, articulating seats that, mm-hmm. were, that were lightweight, but they... They were comfortable, and mm-hmm. I think it still had the ignition key on the floor. Right? Yeah, between and the, the center seats. console between the two seats, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and this one, I think, had two-tone carpet or interior, so like the headliner and everything was like a, a light fawn. Oh, nice. Cream color, but the seats were black, you know. And it, So some of those cars had like, what I will say, some pretty weird color schemes, but this mm-hmm. one was really good-looking, and it was a turbo car, and he thought that he was like... I don't know who the Swedish equivalent of Mario Andretti would be, but he <laughs> thought he was that guy. Right? Okay. And where I grew up near O'Hare Airport, <laughs> there was this clover leaf on the on ramps of 90 and Mannheim Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kennedy, you know where it's at. It's kind of yeah. near where the Muscle Car and Corvette National Show is in yes. Rosemont. So if you hit the clover leaf and enter the right pedal, if you will, mm-hmm. the, the right leaf, um, all the turns decrease in radius. So like oh, the first one is okay. like the wide one, the next one's a little bit tighter and then a little tighter. And all the gotcha. It's just the way they designed it. It's kind of weird. And uh, that was a little bit of a proving ground for us. You know, we'd go out there. And, oh, yeah. You know, later. It's a skid pad. And, yeah. And go, yeah. go do laps at 90 Mannheim. Mm-hmm. Well, another friend of mine at the time, bought a 95 1LE showroom stock Camaro. Oh, wow. Six-speed. Very cool. this was an LT1. Yeah. uh, With a six-speed, big white Hearst shift ball. But the the 1LE cars were, for that showroom stock SCCA class, where they they had performance suspension in them already, no options. It was a stripper, yeah. you know, factory road race car. So he's like, Hey, let's, let's go out, you know, 90 Mannheim and, and set some records with this Camaro. <laughs> and my other neighbor's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring the Saab and, uh, and I'll show you guys. Right? <laughs> show you boys. What's up. <laughs> yeah. Let's show you how we do this thing. Swedish chef style. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, 
So the Camaro does it and the Saab does it and the Camaro does it and the Saab does it. And, and pretty soon the Camaro's doing it like 79 miles an hour, 80 miles an wow. hour. Through, through the, I mean, really hauling ass. <sighs> and that's when the Saab met the infield in a power box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whoopsie daisies. Oh, it was terrible. Um, oh, man. It was fixed. He got it fixed. He Did wrecked he? that car like five times. He oh, kept wrecking man. that car. And we kept telling him, dude, it's a front wheel drive. Front wheel drive cars are not road race no. cars. No, they're not. Well, uh, I, I treated my 9000 like it's a road race car, too. I used to autocross it um, with, yeah, my, with yeah. my old Volkswagen club. And uh, I actually wrecked that car once, too. There you go. Just blew the whole front end up once. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Turn the wheel. It just went straight. <laughs> well, I, I was going through, the, I was going through the, the toll booth, and I was going about 60 miles an hour, and it was uh, like an I-pass uh, booth. Before, they mm-hmm. had the, the I-pass lanes, the big, wide, op- open-road tolling. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I was cruising through the, the booth, and I looked away for a second, and I looked back, and everything was stopped in front of me. Oh, yeah, I've been there. And I slammed on the brakes as hard as I could, and I I didn't make it. I just plowed into this uh, uh, Caprice taxi cab. Oh, man. Both my airbags blow off. The whole front end is just exploded. Coolant flying everywhere. Yeah. This Caprice had a black mark on its bumper. And (laughs) and I'm not kidding. That was it. That was it. And that was already there, by the way. Yeah, it was probably already there. So I was a young kid. I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, oh gosh. So I, I called like uh, I called the body shop. I was like, yeah, I just wrecked my car. Can you fix it? And they said, is it drivable? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I put I, pulled, I put the hood back down as best I could. I drove to this body shop with the airbags in my lap. I roll in there, <laughs> and the guy says, like, what the hell are you doing? This car's not drivable. <laughs> I said, well, I drove it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to tell you. You don't know the cue ball, man. That's right, I, man. I can drive anything. I get things done. <laughs> oh, man. That was brutal. But it wasn't total. They ended up fixing the car. It was like $6,000 in damage. Wow. And uh, it's it, I, I drove it again. But my gosh, it was terrible. Yeah, scary, scary situation when yeah. all of a sudden I had the situation where I was following a guy, admittedly a little bit too close, and he moves over one lane and everybody in front of him was stopped. Oh, man. And I didn't see the, through the car and I was driving a 75 Plymouth Scamp. And <laughs> it, Scamp? It had, yeah, it had front disc brakes and oh, uh, wow. we're com- coming back from a swap meet and we had a trunk full of parts and everything. And the only thing that saved us was the the rub, the rub rumble strip in the... Oh, in the yeah. Pavement, you know? Yeah. Because... We were skidding <laughs> oh, towards, man. towards this stack of stopped cars, and Ooh. we skidded up across the rumble strip, and it just went, and this cloud of tire smoke passes us. Gee, I wonder where that came from. There's three of us in the car. We all looked at each other. Nobody said a word for like 10 miles. Oh, my God. But mm. I'll tell you what, the scamp is getting some love right now. Our friend uh, Steve Strope at Pure Vision is building a scamp. Really? Yeah, for uh, for Bob Florine at ARP. So right on. It's going to be a SEMA reveal car. Uh, I don't know about a SEMA reveal event car, but it will be revealed at the SEMA show. This SEMA uh, show? Coming up, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, get some pictures of that. I'd love to see that. Scamp, scamp, scamp. Scamp. All right, All right my scamp. Friend. So what's, uh, what, what say you for this trivia? Oh, right. Yeah. 
We got one more. We do. Okay. <laughs> Dutchman panel. I Come on. We were, I thought we were done with all No, nah, man. <laughs> that okay. was one great tangent, I got to tell yeah. you. Damn, I'm sorry. Legendary. <laughs> all right. So you picked uh, number five on our triangle of trivia. And the question was, what is a Dutchman panel? And yeah. you said... A Dutchman, let's see, what did you say? The C-pillar area from the rear part of the side window to the yeah. back of the roof where it meets the rear window. Yeah. It AKA came from the Dutch. This AKA sail panel. Right. Close. Um, the Dutchman panel is uh, the metal body piece between the rear window and the trunk. It's that filler panel. Oh, man. So the your Dutchman actually kind of attaches to the actual Dutchman. It kind of does. Oh, I was in the neighborhood. And the term, um, I guess, was derived from a Dutchman's repair, where a piece of cement would uh, spall and dip, causing a deformation in the stone. So the Dutchman repair involves cutting out the damaged stone and the, the, the keystones next to it, and a piece of new stone is prepared to fit into the slot. So that piece, I guess, either has a keystone kind of shape or huh. it, it gets slipped in between the others, and for some reason it, it has become the Dutchman's panel and i it's not used around here but i heard somebody uh more in the eastern part of the u.s say that and uh, i thought what the heck is a dutchman panel but there you go okay so the panel from that touches the back window goes all the way to the the trunk lid yep okay that's a big dutchman panel on your car it is yeah, yeah that's crazy and probably has a few holes in it uh it's got some horse damage <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> mr ed was here that's right <laughs> wilbur yeah. all right all right well i'm glad you reminded me to get that out of the way so you betcha okay well that's all i got now yeah same oh uh quick shout out um my good friend mr anthony lapuma who's a new listener to the show right on yeah, he just messaged me, told me he listened to our latest episode, and he really dug it. So thank you, Anthony. Well, let's hope he doesn't listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the family. <laughs> no, that's cool. We appreciate that. It's always nice to uh, get get some feedback, especially when people like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I like it. I forget people are listening sometimes. I think it's <laughs> yeah, just you. I'm same, just yeah, exactly. We're just, just shooting, the, shooting the breeze. Venting, venting to you about yeah. it. <laughs> And it's like, damn, pistons won't come in. I don't know when they're coming in. (laughs) I'm telling you. All right. So I guess on that note, the takeaway is, uh, you know, go go easy on your suppliers because you might not know the whole story on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and that's all I got. So if you dug this show, give us a a like, a thumbs up, a subscribe, uh, whatever you got. Um, We are going to be, uh, we have launched our new website. Oh, yeah, I meant to mention that. The new and approved V8SpeedShop.com. Yeah, and V8Radio.com is going to point right to a spot on V8 Speed Shop, which is what I, I've wanted forever. So we have the V8 TV world mm-hmm. of videos. We have our Muscle Car of the Week world of videos. We have our V8 Speed Shop of cars that we work on, and we have V8 Radio. Now they're all on the same web space. Nice. And it's under the V8 Speed Shop umbrella but when you go there you can hit drop downs and access all that content mm-hmm. all in the same yeah spot. it's a clean site it's easy to navigate the the pictures come up real nice it's easy to go through everything i really dig it i'm glad thank you yeah. we i processed to date and i still have a couple more cars that we have worked on that are not 
in the photo galleries, but uh, 159,000 photographs. No, oh, slacker. Gee yeah. whiz. There's like 14, 1,400 videos. I mean, there's a wow. lot to do there. Of course, the 110 or so episodes of V8 Radio, uh, they're all there. So Nice. Yeah, if you've got a few minutes to kill, you'll find a way to do it. <laughs> Just go to V8SpeedShop.com. <laughs> <laughs> dig it, dig it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. Thanks yeah, for, the, uh, for the session. You bet, man. Anytime. <laughs> Happy to help. Yeah, right on. I was I, I was getting better. asked when we're getting to, when we're going to have a new episode coming out. I said, I, yeah. I think we're going to record tonight. I think we we'll, should have it out by the weekend. Hold yeah, your horses, we'll, people. We'll get this out quickly. I know I've been yeah. traveling a lot. I'm off to uh, Phoenix to go MC yeah. the uh, Off Road Expo this weekend, and then the Four Wheel Jamboree and Indy, the 40th anniversary next the, the weekend after that. Nice. And then uh, a Phoenix, couple more. back to the scene of the crime. That's it, but I, I can't get it again. Good. All right. That is good. Live it up, man, then. Yeah, so I will return healthy. Good. Thank All right, you. man. Appreciate that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that was a rough go. It was Woo. a rough go. So, for uh, Mr. Mike Cuball Clark, I'm Kevin Oste. This is VA Radio reminding you to keep the shiny side up and. Uh, Keep it under 100 most of the time. There you go. 